All right, uh, we are continuing in our series in Jonah this morning. We are in the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, welcome to Current, everybody. Man, a lot of fun things happening in the life of the church. We had Baptism Sunday last week. We have Kids Camp this week. Father's Day today. Man, we're so grateful for you wonderful fathers. Uh, it was kind of funny. I was sitting up here in the front so I could hear all the off-mic conversations when Cindy was doing that little, you know, fathers bring up your photos of embarrassing moments. There's a lot of conversations to the tune of, you sure you want that going up on social media? No, no, all right, we're giving it to someone else. <laughs> someone behind me quibbed. Uh, it's just their moms giving the photos to the dads anyways. It's like, <laughs> but anyways, happy Father's Day. It was, it's funny. I had, I had something come in, into my feed this last week that I just thought was hilarious. This comedian said, uh, Father's Day is just the worst holiday. He's like, I've done the research. I already know. It's the worst. Mother's Day is the second most celebrated holiday. Christmas is first. That means it's the good Lord and then your mama is what he said. He said, Father's Day, you want to guess where that falls? Number 20. He said, people, I don't even know of 18 other holidays between that and, the, and Mother's Day. He's like, Halloween follows, uh, falls at 6. That means ghosts and goblins are before dads. And Arbor Day is number 13. He said, I don't even know what Arbor Day is. <laughs> Fathers, we, we appreciate you more than trees. And uh, we hope this is a very special uh, day for you. Uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into today's text. Father, thank you that you are our good, good father. And thank you that uh, and, uh, of the many ways that you bless us as a good father, you bless us with, with earthly fathers. And we're just so grateful. I mean, the, the dads here at Current, represented here at Current, they are, they are just an incredible gift. We know they're not perfect. No one is. But would you bless them, watch over them, strengthen them, and bless and watch over and strengthen their families. And then, Father, as Cindy mentioned earlier, for those that today is a little bit of a, of a heavier day because of, because of loss or a sense of loss, would you especially comfort them, watch over them? And Father, we just ask that you would give us your spirit now in all these things. Would you go before us in the kids' camp? Thank you for the team. Thank you for the table set there. Would, would we hear wonderful things this next week and into the years to come? And Lord, now as we focus our, our minds and our hearts on your, on your word, would you please open to it? 
Op- open it to us through, through the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today, as, as Cindy mentioned, we are continuing our series in the book of Jonah, and we're in chapter 3 of the series we're calling The Depths of God's Mercy. And if there's anything that stood out to me from the pages of chapter 3 this week in my study, it's that we follow a God of second chances. God is just, His love, His grace, His mercy, it's so amazing. He just gives second chances, and frankly, more chances after that to Jonah, to these Ninevites. And so we're going to look at that today. And, you know, uh, the late now uh, pastor and author Tim Keller had an incredible insight when it comes to Jonah. He said, you can call Jonah the prodigal prophet, the prodigal prophet. Uh, Of course, he's referring to uh, Jesus' most famous parable of all, the the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, A lot of the elements of Jesus' famous parable are are seen all throughout the book. And to me, it seems like they just come to a head here in Jonah chapter 3. So it's from that lens I kind of want to consider today's text. Uh, the prodigal prophet, no, excuse me, the prodigal son is all about uh, two boys, two boys. Uh, the younger son, uh, the younger brother, comes to the father and demands his inheritance early. And that would have just been utterly disrespectful in that day and age. I mean, t- to think about that today, for someone to go to their father and ask for their inheritance, demand it early, would just be ludicrous. And yet, And yet, back then, in such a family-based society, in such a patriarchal society, I mean, it would have just been off the charts disrespectful. And yet, that's what this younger brother did. And even more shocking, Jesus in the story says the father went ahead and gave that inheritance to him. So this younger brother goes off and, and lives the licentious life, just lives it up. And it's not before long that he finds out there's not a lot of meaning in that life, there's not a lot of purpose, and eventually he hits rock bottom, and he himself experiences a a bit of a coming to moment, and in those depths, he reasons, oh my goodness, I need to go back to my father's house. Like, there's no way my father would take me back as a son. That's just unthinkable. But perhaps he'll take me in as a servant. So he sets out, heads back towards his father's house, And if you know the story, you know the father sees the younger brother from afar while he's still far out and just runs after him. And the little, you know, the younger brother starts his little prepared speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I've sinned against you. I want you to take me back as a servant. And and the father just cuts him off, just hugging him and and telling his servants to bring out a new robe and, 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 and a ring to put on this younger brother and to kill the fattened calf to throw a party because, because he's back with them. That's the story of the younger brother. But there's, there's two brothers in this story. And the, and the second one, the older brother, often doesn't get the limelight that perhaps we ought to give him. The younger brother doesn't go into that party celebrating the younger brother coming back. And yet Jesus in his story adds this very important detail and says, the father went out to the older brother. And the older brother out there is just stewing, just indignant. Like, father, how could you allow that guy... To be celebrated. Are you kidding? He took the inheritance early. Good riddance with him. I've been following you my whole life. I've been, I've been slaving away, doing everything you've ever asked me to do. And you've never even given me a, a little calf in order to throw a party with my buddies. And then we can almost hear Jesus' appeal in this story to the heart when he said to the, the, the older brother, he said, son, don't you realize everything I have is yours? Everything. But we... Don't you see, we have to celebrate your younger brother coming back because he was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. 
There's a reason why that story is, is so popular, so powerful uh, to us today, and it's because it, in big part, resonates with our hearts today. Each of us have little tendencies, or bigger tendencies, of both younger and older brother. And both of those are happening here in Jonah. We see both of these elements, younger brother in the, in the Ninevites, which we'll look at, and the older brother in Jonah. And what we see here is God pursues them. God pursues the older brothers of the world and the younger brothers of the world, which is great news because that's you and me. He pursues them with second chances. But the question is, today in Jonah chapter 3, is will we let him, as he pursues us with his love, with his mercy, will we let him and will we receive that and live from that? Okay, so let's go ahead and, and jump right in. We're going to get right into it today. We've already prayed. And we're going to look at first Jonah, the older brother. Okay, Jonah, the older brother of, of this story. Our chapter 3 starts out this way. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, we've seen this before in this, in this book. But here is another verse that we could just easily gloss over and think not much of, right? It's just kind of a description. God comes to Jonah a second time, take my message to that city of Nineveh. But it's actually incredibly packed with meaning. How, how do we know this? Well, if you were here with us when we began this series, you know that the book starts out with these words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of, of Nineveh. And yet what he goes on to say is, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We asked then, and we'll ask it again, how is it we even have a book of Jonah? If the book starts with those words, God shows up to Jonah, hey, here's what I want you to do. And Jonah not only says no, he flees in the opposite direction. How is it we have a book? And what we said then, or essentially, to put differently today, is even when we give up on God, God doesn't necessarily give up on us. God pursued Jonah. Jonah fled, but God pursued him. We saw in the latter part of chapter 1, God sent the storm. And then in chapter 2, God sent the great fish, all to pursue Jonah. God is the God of second chances. There's no way Jonah deserved this. Just just, he didn't deserve it, through and through. And not just because of his disobedience of fleeing the Lord's call. What we talked about just a little bit last week, we'll, we'll remind ourselves now, is Jonah was a very smug religious dude. He was a very smug in his religiosity. and he, fig- he was very much an older brother in the sense of he had had the same kind of attitude towards God. I've, I've been following you my whole life. I don't, I don't need to do this. And and yet he was missing being a part of God's call in his life. Uh, there's a stark warning all throughout the book of Jonah that it is, it is very easy for the religious to miss out on experiencing and living with God's love. It is very easy for the religious to miss out on what God is doing. And uh, man, if you need a little biblical case study, just look at the gospel accounts or the biographical accounts of Jesus in the New Testament parts of the scripture. Uh, think of it this way. Of all the people Jesus appealed to, who did he appeal to the most? I mean, Jesus, when he was, during his earthly ministry, he, he didn't appeal to a lot of different types of people. 
think about it this way. When he hung out with the poor, he wasn't appealing to the poor and the destitute. Jesus didn't appeal to them. He didn't have to. Who was Jesus appealing to? Who was he spending all this time and energy to appeal to? But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who ought to have been the first to have received him, he was constantly pleading with them, appealing to them, trying to help them understand. But, but they were blind, and Jonah's blind. And, you know, it's as awesome as he has a little bit of a, you know, uh, obedience record here in chapter 3, which is a little small, little... Of all the things Jonah does right, chapter 3 seems like he's kind of doing something good. Most biblical scholars actually think that Jonah's probably not doing all that great of a job of following uh, God. Uh, Jonah's not doing a great job of following God here in this chapter. He goes out and he actually finally, with a second chance, starts to tell the people of Nineveh God's message. Okay, that seems about good. But what Bible scholars tell us, based on just the, the, the context and the wording here, is almost certainly Jonah is out there preaching. Hey, and here was his message essentially. He said more than this, but... Hey, you got 40 days to shape up, Ninevites, or God's coming down. Biblical scholars tell us it is likely, we don't know for sure, but it is likely that Jonah was actually a little excited about that message. He was probably a little gleeful, like, and I want to see it happen. In fact, stay tuned for next week. That's what we're going to talk about. And it's not hard to understand why he felt that way or probably felt that way or we know will eventually feel that way. It's because the Ninevites were just God's enemies back then. He just, he just didn't like them. And so part of the reason why Jonah was blind to God's call in his life, touching his life, even his second chances, third and fourth, frankly, is that he was blind out of his own prejudice, out of his own sin, which is, which is what happens for, for, for older brothers. Um, here's what we see in Jonah. We've seen it in chapter 1. Let's just bring it to a head here now in chapter 3. Jonah repeatedly thinks he's following God, but he's following an image of God he's created for himself. Does that make sense? This prophet who is religiously smug, we have different places in 2 Kings where he shows up, he's doing things. He seems like he's following God, but really when you get underneath it all, he's not really following God, but basically following himself in a construct of God. He's basically made himself into God, and he's just using God as a construct to kind of live that out. Have you ever met someone, and don't think of anybody in particular, although that's probably impossible. <laughs> Definitely not here at Current. Definitely not your pastor. Okay, here, there we go. Somebody who is very religious, comes across very religious, but when you're like listening to them, thinking about it, they're like, I don't think they're following the God of the Bible. You know I mean? Can you think of any politician? Okay, all right, we get the idea. It is really easy to see that in other people, but what the scriptures show us time and time again Pharisee through Jonah chapter 3, that is each and every one of us. We are all older brothers. We all have this tendency. We are all blind. We can easily see it in another. In fact, I bet if you could bring Jonah, you know, from then here, he would have easily seen older brother tendencies in all sorts of other people, but missed it in himself. We are all older brothers. We all have these sorts of tendencies. Um, I had a really interesting pairing of friends, uh, two guys who I, I knew kind of casually at first, then we became closer friends later on. Uh, but they just made a real interesting pair of friends. Uh, one guy's name was Austin. Another guy's name was, was James. This is at Cal. And Austin was about as religious of a dude as, as I've known. And uh, James was about as anti-religious of a dude as I've ever known. I'll talk more about James here in, in, uh, uh, as we go on. But James was about as Berkeley of a Berkeley dude, an anti-religion, anti-Christian. And yet they were somehow friends. I'm like, how does that work? 
They found harmony through uh, Dungeons and Dragons, that game where you, okay, everybody knows. Okay, that, okay, that's how they do each other. And they experienced some sort of harmony because uh, there would be all these interesting conversations, but they always managed to be able to hang out with each other. I would hang out with them because we had a mutual friend at a, who owned a game shop, and I played, you know, these much less, much more casual games. Like, I, anyways, so I'd hang out with them. Uh, Austin, Austin was a very religious guy, as I've said, very, very devout. Uh, I would actually go so far to say, and he would use these words later about himself, uh, dogmatic, zealous. Yeah, he was that kind of guy. And, you know, he knew that, that I went to church regularly. And so uh, there were often times where Austin, he would call himself later again self-righteous and judgmental. I can vouch for all of that. Because when we would hang out, especially, you know, knowing that I was Christian, he would just point out things that he thought I should just know and just, you know, I should, and how I should feel about those things as well. Spiritual guilt is a real thing. You let it. But over time, Austin, and, and by the way, Austin uh, didn't go to church all that often. He, came, he would come every once in a while, and uh, me and another buddy who were kind of in that uh, group of friends, we would invite him out. And he'd come every so often. Um, he'd actually come about as often as James would, um, this anti-religious guy. Um, but he would only come uh, less often, not, not as much as you probably think, being a religious guy, um, partly because he thought he had it all figured out. He's like, I don't need that. I've got, I've got it worked out. But over time, and I'm talking a, a period of a few years, Austin would come out to church. And eventually, eventually, after hearing the gospel any number of times, because week after week, so whenever Austin came out, certainly heard the gospel. After one Sunday, I remember, with, with a tear in his eye, he's like, I, I put my faith in Jesus. Wait a minute. This religious guy, yeah, he put his faith. And the way he said it, he's like, I realize I've been, I haven't been following God. I've been following me. I've been following, like, my good works and what I, and I've come to realize that it's nothing based on what I can bring to the table. It's, it's completely what God has done for me through Jesus. And I was thinking about that later on. I was like, you know, I don't think it was an extra special message that day. It's just he heard the gospel. But on that day, the penny dropped, if you will. He understood. He received. He understood that he needed Jesus, as we all do. And I would just say, some of you are here today. And perhaps you've gone to church for a good chunk of your life. Maybe you even identify as Christian, but you've never received the gospel or the good news. And that is explicitly that God has done for you what you cannot do for yourself through Jesus. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And just calling yourselves Christians doesn't make us Christian, frankly. Not in the way that God defines that. We have to come to him through, through Jesus. And he makes that possible. And you can receive Jesus today. You can put your faith in him today by saying, right now even, God, I receive you for you and what you've done for me through sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. But then there's many others of us here today where perhaps we've received the gospel, but we're living with a heart tendency of the older brother. We're living with a heart tendency of on the surface or maybe even underneath the surface, we've convinced ourselves that we're following God, but really at the end of the day, we're following what God ought to be doing for us, at least as we've determined it. And it is really easy, friends, to be blind to that. It is really easy to be blind to that. Um, but here's a, here's a way to know when and if this is, well, I shouldn't say if, it's in all of us, but w when it's happening and where it's happening in your life. It's when things hit the fan and your narrative becomes something to the tune of, God, how could you let that happen? When we say, when something hits the fan or something 
doesn't turn out the way we, we would hope it would, or things don't turn, come up to us like we'd like to, and our narrative something to the tune of, God, how could you? Well, no, those are the things that we're actually probably making more into God than God himself. We're not, we're not chasing God for God. We're not receiving God for God. As Jonah wasn't receiving God for God. We're, we're receiving him for what he ought to be doing already. God, why aren't you giving me that special someone? You know how hard this is for me. Look, God cares about those things. Don't, don't mistake me. But if it's tearing us apart to the point of like, God, I can't, I'm not even sure I can believe you this doesn't happen. God, this job interview that didn't work out. You know I need to provide and things need to work out, but how could you let that? I've been working so hard for fill in the blank. And we find the places where perhaps we're following God, not for God, but for a construct of God as we've made him in our lives. In other words, we're following him for us, not not for him. But here's what's incredible about Jonah, the book of Jonah, and Jesus on every page. God still pursues us, even when we do that, even when our heart is blind to it. He'll give us little glimpses, if we will pay attention. So will you pay attention? Will you look for that today? In what way might you be looking to God for, for you as opposed to for him? Okay, so there, there's Jonah, the, the older brother. Now let's look at the Ninevites, the, the younger brothers, as, as it were. Jonah goes around uh, this very large city, proclaiming 40 days, uh, Nineveh will be overthrown. It's this message of judgment. He's probably preaching a lot of other things. Frankly, this is just, you know, what we have here just kind of summarized for us. But this message of judgment makes sense. Again, if you were here with us the first week when we kind of dis first described Nineveh, they were a terrible people. And there's just no batting around that. They were a terrible people. Uh, historians tell us that they, I mean... You'd be hard-pressed to, to find other peoples throughout history that would go higher on the list of just the terrible things that they, they did. They were warring people. They were brutal people. They would play with their victims in just atrocious ways. They would do things to their own kids. Okay, enough said. Message of judgment is not surprising, okay, that God would say, hey, turn, turn from this violence. Turn from this wicked ways. What is surprising, what is crazy is verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Uh, I didn't know this before this week, but historians actually point out that during about the time of Jonah's mission to the Ninevites, a number of things happened in that region that probably would have led to these guys being a little bit more open. That perhaps, biblical historians say, God was using to open their hearts. I mean, different things like famines, uh, revolts, eclipses, you know, the, things of plagues, things of the like where, you know, in ancient times especially, they would have seen, oh no, some, something's getting ready to happen. And, and Jonah happened to show up at that time. So maybe that played into a little bit of what was going on for the whole people to go, okay, we believe this one prophet. But of course, that can't be all of it. Even, even if actually some of it, it's like it had to, it had to have been a working of God. Uh, some of you probably know the history of this uh, way better than I do, but in Pyongyang, uh, Korea back in 1907 at a little Bible conference, uh, there was a, a little moment that happened in Korea that just, that just created and spread a revival around that country. Uh, in 1907, uh, at this little Bible conference, there was a group of Christians who gathered, and they just felt overwhelmed in, in, by the conviction of their hatred towards the Japanese. Now, if you know some of the history there, uh, there had been some terrible things committed, so you can understand why there would be hatred and all those sorts of things. But in this Bible conference, these Christians had the realization, oh my goodness, we believe the gospel, that we were enemies of God, 
and yet he sent his son to die for us in order to forgive us. We believe that, we receive that, and yet we're not offering that to others. We're, we're living from hatred. And they, they, just had a, they just had a moment of just like, we gotta repent, turn from that. And out of that, out of that, revival spread throughout Korea. I mean, so a lot of you guys know the, know the history of that. It's pretty, pretty phenomenal if you think about it. And what some people note is that, you know, around that same time, there were some delegations between the Japanese and the Koreans. And so did that play? Is that what? There's no way that played the whole role in terms of people coming to faith in numbers you just can't explain because of that event. And Korea being the nation it is in, in many senses today because because of an event like that. It's just incredible. Uh, God relented and was gracious to these Ninevites when they utterly did not deserve it. That's what verse 10 is all about. He saw what they did, how they turned from the evil, day, uh, evil ways, and he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The point here is you are never too wayward for God's love. You, 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 are, you can never be too wayward. If if God, if, if the Ninevites could repent or turn from their evil ways, both in mind and heart, and live towards the things of God, if the Ninevites could do that and God would be, extend mercy and grace to them, he could do that for you and me. You can never be too wayward. I, I'll never forget a good buddy of mine. Uh, when he found out I was a pastor out, out in the community, we, were, we were, got to know each other. When he found out I was a pastor, he was taken aback. Like literally, I, I, I remember him taking a step back when he found out I was a pastor. Um, hashtag life of a pastor. But um, I remember he, he, he was taken aback when he was a pastor. But then over the course of a few months, we got to know each other and have conversations. And, uh, you know, I got to, he was asking about, you know, what I do, what it's all about. And I'd invite him out to, to Current. And at one point, after we'd had a number of conversations, I invited him again out to Current. And he said, he, he, got, a, he got real real with me, which doesn't always happen with guys. Um, but he said, he said, David, I can't go. I said, oh, why not? He said, well, if I go, uh, with God knowing what I've done in my life, the walls would cave in on me. And it's not, not the first time I've heard that kind of thought, but I was like, you know, he said it real. I was like, oh. but I looked at him and I said, friend, but that's all of us. And that's the message of Jesus. That if, if, if that were true, the, the walls would cave in on all of us every week. And yet the whole point of the gospel or the good news is that's why he sent his son. God sent his son into this world to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. A few moments later, he said, I'll see you next week. There better be good coffee. I will get good coffee. Later, he put his faith in the Lord. Later, he's baptized. That's the story of all of us. We're all younger brothers. And if we don't recognize we're younger brothers, put us back more into the older camp, and we're in trouble again. We're all younger brothers. Uh, Paul, writing to the early church in Romans chapter 3, doesn't mince words. He's a Humankind, every single person is not just sinful. We all have hearts that are desperately wicked. Like we are all younger brothers. But God is a God of second chances. Pursues us, even when we don't deserve it. So I mentioned earlier, uh, Austin, you know, the very religious guy. James, this you know, pairing of interesting friends, uh, was very anti-religious guy. A very Berkeley dude. And uh, he knew uh, I was uh, Christian, and my buddy, a couple of us other buddies were, were Christian. And he's the kind of guy, I think I've mentioned this from time to time. Here's the first time I've put a name and kind of more face to his, his story. But he's the kind of guy who would just argue with me about Christianity purely because I existed. 
Like, I just, just because I was there, please understand, I was not that Cal student Christian, like, hey, I just need to tell you, I'm just showing up to play some games. I just want to play some games. Not Dungeons and Dragons, but I'll just, I'll play a game. But he was just like, you're here, let's argue, you know? And I say argue, it was, just, it was more like tirades. And I literally remember there was one, there was one night where he, 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 he was, it was one of his tirades, he was full-blown red in the face and spittle was coming out of his mouth. And I remember thinking, like, who brought this up? I didn't bring this up. Um, boy, I got I to gotta be careful here. He put his faith in Jesus. He, uh, he got to know some of us through community a little over time. He got, like, we'd invite him to church because, yeah, let's invite him to church. I was kind of like, you want to come to church? You want to, you know. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, he came out. He heard the gospel. And after he heard the gospel one day, after a few times he'd come out. And first, at first he came to church just, I mean, explicitly to let us know how we had it all wrong. Like, that was his original reason for coming to church. But then he eventually, over time, he heard the gospel, and just through tears, just like, I put my faith in Jesus. Obviously, there was way more going on in his life than we knew or had gotten to. And incidentally, I just thought about this today as I was preparing, preparing today. Uh, he was just full-blown tears. Austin was more like trickle. I'm just, and that's, a, that's an interesting thing to think about. For James, he had such a moment of just like, I don't deserve this. But God, God... God's pursued me. A real fun part of the story is if that's not all crazy enough, James would go on in his faith a few years later to live as a missionary in a part of Africa that it's illegal to be a missionary in. Meaning he would go on to risk his very life in order to tell people about Jesus. In fact, boy, I'm off-roading right now. I'm in big part uh, ministry today because I saw God do things like through James like that. The point here is, if God can do that with a James, if God can do that through a Nineveh, he can do that with you and me. But let me take that a step further, Christian friends. If he could do that through Nineveh, through James, he can do that, not just through you and me. He could do that through your friend, your coworker, your neighbor. If God can extend mercy and the Ninevite can receive his grace, so too can the people of Silicon Valley. But so often, what do we do? We say their nose for them. We can't do that, guys. We can't. We did a little staff exercise this last week. I love our staff. Man. Staff and leaders, we had an all hands for those leaders who could come and, and uh, kind of be with an extended staff meeting. And we, you know, we started that, how we usually start these things, with a little bit of a devotion. We've been in Jonah, so I was just like, hey, you know, what ways, let's just go around and share, what ways do we, are we often like Jonah when it comes to our mission? God calls us to be a light, take his message. In what ways, let's just share, excuse me, have we, do we have the tendency of, of Jonah? And you want to know what the, the main answer, or at least the most popular answer that kind of came up is, oh, but we're nervous what they'll think of us. Or when we're nervous, uh, it'll change our relationship with them. Uh, hey, boy, I, I get that. But the point of Jonah is we've got to, got to get his word out. And let us not say people's nose for it. If God can, if God can, Bring the Ninevites into the faith. He can bring anyone into the faith. If, oh, if he can bring you and me into the faith, he can bring anyone into the faith. I love the story of Brian Rennie that we showed a few weeks ago. Were you here? He had gotten baptized, and we were like, hey, we've got to get your story on video. So we showed it a few weeks ago. Brian, moving from the East Coast to the Bay Area, thinking that move would only, like, affirm his, you know, conclusion that there is no God, and how could he exist, only to find God 
and, and for God, it's really fun to use current to help him into the faith. I, I failed to mention that he actually went on his first mission trip like this last week. How cool is that? He just went on, now he's, he's come to faith. But that's what God is doing in our midst. First in us and then through us. And so we're called with our older and younger brother tendencies alike, often all wrapped up into one, to just look to the Lord and his leading and allow him to pursue us when he gives a second chance and third and fourth and you name it. I want to look at two uh, responses that I think this text gives us in light of these things and then, and then we'll conclude. Two ways we're called to respond to this God of second chances and, and then we'll close. Number one, we're to obey. Okay, that's the word. Uh, the Lord, word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Verse three, and Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Went to Nineveh. And the Ninevites, for their part, believed and repented, uh, turned from their ways, actually did something about it. Uh, God is always talking. He is always speaking. There's, there's, there's rare times where he might be silent. But for the most part, he's always talking. The question is, are we listening? And if we're listening, are we actually willing to do something about it? Sometimes we're not listening. We're just kind of pushing it away. We hear it. And so I would just say, is, is God speaking to you? And if, if, you prob- if he is probably, in what way is he speaking to you? And how could you obey that? How could you follow him in light of what he's doing in your life? For some, it might be repenting from something. And I don't have to go through a list of what that might be. I mean, you probably already know if that's come up to your mind right now. Take that to the Lord. Maybe bring a, a fellow brother or sister of Christ into it so they can help you along, keep you accountable, those sorts of things. When we confess our sins, God says he gives, he gives healing. Maybe for some of us, it's repenting. It's turning for something we know he's calling us not into. For others, maybe it's following a prompting. Look, our call, we know, is to tell people about Jesus. Jesus told us. It's the same as, as, as uh, Jonah's here. It's just, it's the gospel. It's the good news. We get to share it. In what ways might you be able to be a light in the community? Following little promptings. Not saying no for, for people for them. One of the things we're trying to do this summer is really lean into that as a community and try to make this as easy as possible. That's what these uh, summer activity groups are all about. These summer activity groups, uh, yes, they are, they are about hanging out and developing relationships, especially with people across the church that maybe we might not otherwise get to hang out. Yes, absolutely. But they are also about creating spaces where we can bring those who don't normally attend church into them to experience gospel-centered community, Christian community. So that our friends, our neighbors might experience that, hey, those Christians aren't the weirdos I thought they were. Maybe they will think we're a little weird, all that. But the point is to build and start to develop relationships in an easy way. And you know, it hit me this morning again. I said, one of the activity groups are board games. God's used board games in my friends Austin and James' life. Dungeons and Dragons, is that a board game? Anyways. Um, come hang out with uh, the softball team. Even if you don't play baseball, it's fun. Next week, I think the casual teams are playing each other. We have two casual teams. They're playing. That's going to be a real fun game to cheer for. How do you do that? It's like, yay, boo, boo, no, yay. It's like, all right. Uh, hikes. I mean, you know what's awesome about hikes? You get to go out and hang out with nature. A lot of people in the Bay Area, as you guys know, love hikes. But you also get great shoulder-to-shoulder time of conversation. And the point is not to, like, go out there with a soapbox and preach at people. Just to develop relationship. This is our goal with summer activity groups. Why? Number one, just to build relationship, open opportunities to perhaps share the gospels and, and be a light as the Holy Spirit gives us opportunity. But also very strategically and mindful of the fall that's coming up. So in the fall, we're, uh, Current is going to be uh, one of 
of hopefully over 100 churches in the Bay Area, part of this initiative called Explore God. And it's a time in which all these churches, you can see it on billboards, you can see it in social media. We're all coming together to, to look at questions that people are probably asking, by the way, also in the church, but our neighbors and coworkers might be asking too. Is there really a God? And if, if there is a good God, how could he allow pain and suffering? And what about the Bible? Is that reliable? You know, all these sorts of things in the hopes of, and in hopes of that we can bring people into that. And so therefore, summer activity groups can be a way to kind of not make invitations in a vacuum. So can you use summer activity groups to be a light? It's not like going to Nineveh. Yeah, anyways. Um, but we want to very intentionally be like, okay, how can we do that? And mindful of the area we are. So number one, uh, in light of God being the God of uh, second chances, we need to obey. And then number two, we need to be humble. We need to be humble. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greats to the least. The greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Sackcloth, uh, real quick, was goat hair that the ancient uh, Near East people groups would put on to mourn death. Now, I very much doubt that the Ninevites had their theology all worked out. But they were, they were, they were mourning in their own way the death of separation with God. Um, and more practically, they were in all of that, through this fast and this wearing of sackcloth, they were saying, yeah, we've gone, we've gone wayward. We are a violent people. We need to turn, we need to turn away from this uh, or we will perish. And then, and then here's the king. Talk about humility. In verse 9, he says, who knows? God may relent and with us and with, and, and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we shall not perish. I, I love this verse because this verse essentially encapsulates the gospel. Who knows that God would relent? We do. We know that God will relent. That's a good question. How could God, who cares so much about justice, with this message of mercy, how does that, who knows? We know because God sent his son into this world to live the life we're supposed to live, but we do not live on our behalf and then die the death that we deserve, he didn't deserve, on our behalf so that we could be brought into an eternal relationship with him. That is the good news received by faith. Who knows if God will have compassion? We know because we have the Son. And so we need to be humble because the message, going all the way back to Jonah and all the way through, script, uh, through Jesus and, and, and into the early church to today, is we are all younger brothers and we are all older brothers. And we are all both of these things all at the same time, way more than we care to recognize or admit. And so Christian followers, followers of Jesus, it means we start with a posture of, we need to be humble. And the minute we start to go, I've got it figured out, and I need to tell these other people from a position of, I've got it figured is the minute we realize we've strayed into being an older brother. Is this making sense? God calls us to be humble. And I would just say this. Jonah, when he just happens to have a little sliver of, wow, Jonah's actually firing on some cylinders there. It's when he's humble. And we've got to be humble. That's what God calls us to do. We say it here at, at Current, we want to be a community that's authentic. Just because... Man, we do not have our act together. We're the first to say that. But that's the point. That's why God sent his son. To give us all second chances. To pursue us with his love. Because make no mistake, the main actor of Jonah chapter 3 is not Jonah and is not the Ninevites. It is God who came to Jonah the second time. And God who relented with the Ninevites when they didn't deserve it. And it's that same God who's moving today and wants to move through you and me. So can you obey him? And can you be humble? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the book of Jonah. 
Thank you so much how it speaks to our hearts today. So many centuries later, millennia. Lord, we are, we are very much like Jonah, the older brother. We are very much like the Ninevites, the younger brother. And yet you pursue us. Thank you for pursuing us. Even when it's a little painful, it's for our good and for your glory. Would you help us to respond however you're speaking to each of us today? Would you help us listen to you, not just push you away or, or, or worse, flee? But would you help us receive the life and light that you make available to us? And then would you help us as a church and as individuals? And all the more this week with Kids Camp, would you help us to put out the same love that you are pursuing others for the sake of others coming to know Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen.